for that, RG. Hey guys, uh, really excited to be here today. Uh, like Robert said, I was at Passion this week. Uh, if you're familiar with Passion Conferences, it's a gathering of 18 to 25 year olds. Uh, lots of people, the venue that we uh, were in that I led a group of high school and college students to, we were uh, in a venue with 12,000 uh, other people, you know, in a similar age. And it's just cool to see, you know, like you guys say, young people gathered together for the sake of the Lord. Uh, really sweet. You know, young people can be great friends. And uh, as I told guys this week, hey, you know, I'm going to be around, but in the breaks, I'm going to pull out the iPad and kind of study a little bit because I'm preaching. You know, just great friends were really nice to me and encouraged me and said things like, yeah, Daniel, you know, first sermon of 2019, uh, we're just going to start it on a real low place. So everything's better after that. The only place to go is up. So uh, hopefully that's not what happens here, but I'm really honored to be here today and uh, talk about something that's just really near and dear to me, something that the Lord has um, really worked in my heart, and that's this idea of faith. We all have faith in some things. But before we get into faith, you know, it's New Year's. I thought it'd be really appropriate for us to talk about New Year's resolutions. I mean, you guys make a resolution. New Year's resolution, show a hand. Yep, see, that's the thing. Everybody's kind of afraid to say that they make a New Year's resolution. Let's do this. We'll make some friends this way. Turn to somebody around you, make a new friend, maybe somebody you came with, and just say like something you're looking for in the new year. Maybe it's not a formal resolution, but something you're hoping in, something you're going to try to be better at. So turn yourselves, you know, 30, 60 seconds, a little while, have a conversation. Talk about what are you hoping for in the new year? If you've got a formal resolution, talk about that. New year, new you. All right, all right. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of how it goes for most of us, right? So I ask the question, hey, who's got a resolution? And I get a lot of... Uh, I'm sort of me. But then when we start talking, we all kind of feel a hope for a new year, right? That there's something more for us, that there's something about ourselves that we'd probably like to change or fix or make an improvement upon. Uh, I looked these up. I just thought they were really funny. These were uh, just things that people were hoping to change in 2019, the top New Year's resolutions uh, that I found in 2019. So here we go. Uh, it's to diet or eat healthier. About 71% of people's resolutions had something to do with that. Uh, to exercise more, to lose weight, to save more and spend less, to learn a new skill or a hobby. Uh, the next one's where it gets funnier. Quit smoking, read more, find another job, uh, drink less alcohol. I'd like to think that's probably a timely resolution. People wake up on New Year's Day and they're like, oh, hey, all right, uh, 10, spend more time with family and friends. We all kind of get this, right? That there is, uh, man, there's some things that we just want to change about us. Uh, but about 60% of people are willing to admit that they make some kind of New Year's resolution. But only 8% of people actually follow through and uh, see those things out to fruition. And that's kind of the, the thing we all feel, right? And I think kind of wrapped up in that and our hesitancy to share and kind of that tension we feel is that we really don't know that uh, we have the faith that we're actually going to see those things out, right? We're afraid to set a goal that we're going to meet. Faith is something we all have context for, right? You wake up in the morning, you get in your car, you crank it, you hope it turns over, so uh, you hope that you have a car that starts, faith that a car would start. You walk out the door in the morning, you hope you wear the right clothes, it's winter in Mississippi, so you never know what you're going to get. But you hope, you have faith that the meteorologist is right. Uh, you know, for some of us in the room, we hope that with two new coordinators, that the Ole Miss Rebels can go at least six and six this year. Can I get an amen from the Rebels in the room? Like, we're just hopeful, you know? We are, we are people who have faith. We just, we put our faith in things and we trust 
that things are gonna work out. But faith in the Bible is a little different and a classic passage that many of you are familiar with that I love, thinks, I think it gives us the, the best definition for faith is this in Hebrews 11. So we're going to Hebrews 11, one through three and then verse six right here on the screens. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, this is key, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it's this idea of faith, right? That we all know, we all have a hope, a longing for, an expectation, but faith that your car will start, that the weather's right, and that the Rebs are gonna get a couple of Ws this year is very different than a biblical faith. Uh, the Greek word for faith, we'll put on the screen here, it's this pistis, it's this idea that, it's this faith or belief, but it's deeper than that. It's this idea of trust, trustworthiness, and that the character of one can be relied on. So think in your mind about your best friend, right? When your life is good and when your life is bad, who's the person that you go to? Who's the person that, man, when you get a promotion or when things are going right in your family or when there's tragedy, who do you pick up the phone and call or text or who's the first person that you see? Whoever that person is, you probably have a great deal of faith in them that they're going to be a real person who exists, who's there for you, to have faith in them would be that you'd know they're there and you can really talk and go to them. And then two, that their character is that of someone who is good, reliable, trustworthy, and available for you, dependable. It's this deep idea of faith, not just this longing or hope or good vibe that we have towards something, but this deep knowledge that God exists, that he is true, that his character, his ways, who he is, is trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. So for us, when we think about faith, some of us it comes easy to. Got the gift of faith. Has it really been my story? Kind of naturally a, a, set, a skeptic, kind of naturally a cynic. Um, that manifests itself in a lot of different ways, makes it really interesting for someone who has my job. But I think most of us are probably in that camp. Right, we've got big questions. We live in an information age, we're well educated. We have access to more information than any other time on earth. And that leads us to question and to doubt. So really what I want us to talk about today is kind of the big idea of why we should choose faith and faith in Jesus. And then what it looks like for us to live a life of faith in the day to day. So uh, a philosopher, Immanuel Kant, if you're into philosophy, probably familiar with him. If you're not a philosopher, uh, he wrote in his work, The Critique of Pure Reason, uh, a very light read, not a light read. Um, this is like definite Cliff Notes material right here. So he wrote uh, kind of with this premise that all of the philosophy in the world could be summed up in these three questions. What can I know? What should I do? And what can I hope? What can I know? What should I do? What can I hope? And if you're super deep and 
you lay awake in bed at night and you wonder, what is my life for? What am I here for? What's the meaning of life? Or as you work and you play and you live your life in a family and you wonder, and what, what is all of this about? Is there, is there more here? What's underneath all of this? What does God have for me here? I think the answer to this, the answer that's inside all of our hearts and all the hearts of people is faith. And uh, I think faith answers these questions for us. That a deep faith, a true faith, a faith where we really ask and where we, we really push and we really want to know, offers us place, purpose, and hope. A deeper faith in Jesus gives us a place, a purpose, and a hope. So a place, what do I mean by a place? It gives us a place to belong. You could be like me and be wired to achieve and to go and to be the best. And Faith in Jesus gives us a place to belong. It gives us a place to put those things. It gives us a place where our achievement and our worth is not measured in us because sometimes we're great, but sometimes, honestly, as people, we're just not. We fall flat and we disappoint and we, we just can't measure up to our own standards sometimes. But when we have a place in Jesus, when he brings us into his family, when the Bible says he adopts us as his children, in uh, the New Testament, there's this phrase, in Christ and in God, that's used uh, to describe God's people, right? Things that are attached to it are character that we're supposed to adopt. So things we're supposed to take on. Uh, things that Jesus has done in our life that he would call us into his family. It's this concept of the, the locative tense. So it's this location that when we become Christians, when we put our, our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus, that we would go out of this place of kind of living life on our own, kind of being aimless, doing things our own way, that we would then be moved into where our whole place is in Jesus. Our security, our safety, our identity in Jesus, wrapped up in who he is. That, our deep faith would give us purpose, right? You want to know what to live for? You want to know what to do? You wonder why God's given you the things he's given you and called you to the things he's called you to? Man, there is no higher purpose in the world than in the kingdom of God. And if you're bored in life, Robert says this often, I, I don't know if you're living a, an incredibly deep Christian life. Now you may be, but I think God calls us and challenges us to new things and to deep things, right? That a life lived in faith is a life of risk where we trust God to the things he's calling us to. Now, I'm not saying you have to pack your bags and sell everything you have and move around the world. There's plenty of risk for you to take here in Mississippi to live a life of faith and to seek to make Jesus known here. But there's purpose for us here as God's people. And a deep faith gives us a purpose in Jesus. And then it gives us hope, right? Don't we all feel that, that days are just hopeless, right? This is a hard world. You turn on the news, I think I've said this in here before, uh, don't hold this against me, the great 21st century philosopher Kanye West says, ain't nothing on the news but the blues, right? It's just a sad world. And uh, I'm probably never gonna preach again because I just quoted Kanye. Like, but like, it's just, it's sad. It's sad, right? You don't turn on the news. You're kind of just afraid of what's going on because you know it just feels like the world gets darker and darker and harder and harder and things are just worse and worse and worse. But we find hope in Jesus that even though life is hard, and even though we live in this tension in the middle, that one day he's going to make all things right in the world.
And that one day in our life, when we die, if we trust him, we're going to join him in heaven. And he'll wipe away every tear. And we'll live with him for eternity. So a place, a purpose, and a hope is what we find when we live a life of deep faith in Jesus. But for a lot of us, we see these things and we know these things. And I mean, I pulled these things out of my head and out of some commentaries, and I'm still pulled away from this life of deep faith where I would trust and want to submit the fullness of my life to who Jesus is and what he has for me. Most of us live in that middle ground where we feel pulled between the pressures of the day-to-day and the pressures to trust God at his word and who he says that we are and who he says he is and the things that he has for us. And uh, great news, it was the same for God's people in the Bible. Here's what Jeremiah 6 says. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This idea, this concept that Jeremiah the prophet would speak to God's people and say, hey, look, man, y'all are tired. Y'all are weary. You've been living your life on your own. It's not going that well for you. You got some circumstances in your life that you don't love. And you know what you can do? Look back and see the ancient paths, the way that for generations people have been following the Lord, the things that he's done, the things that you've seen. But they, like us, like me, look around and say, nah, man, I'm good. We will not walk in it. So if you're like me and you're prone to question, there are really two things, very simple. It's not going to blow your mind when these go up here that make us question our faith. Doubt and hard times make us question our faith. Everyone gets this, right? What makes us question our faith? Doubt and hard times. Doubt, something that generally we don't love. Doubt is something usually that people kind of, shy away from, that we feel like doubt is uh, one of those things that's kind of a bad word, right? That God doesn't invite our doubt, that he doesn't appreciate our doubt. But I would say this, that in any worldview, there's really uh, doubt kind of woven into it, right? That anything, any, any lens we would choose to view the world through would be one that would, with it, require a little bit of faith. Even if you have a worldview that says, man, I can only trust what I can see, I've got to go touch and feel and the empirical evidence that I can see, right? I've just got to be able to put my hands on it and know it, and and then that's, that's what I'm going to trust. Even that statement is a statement that requires faith. They would say that you are the the highest knowledge in the universe, that there could be nothing greater than you that could exist. And that in your mind, even though I'm sure a lot of you are smart, I'm not that smart, probably a lot of smarter people in here in the room. I know a lot of you, a lot of you are much smarter than me. But a worldview that says that, that says, man, if I can't see it and hold it and touch it and measure it on my own, then it it can't be. Even that is a leap of faith because that says, I, I'm it. I can know. I can know all. So even that worldview requires faith. So I think it takes just as much uh, faith to doubt Christianity to doubt the truth of God in the world 
as it does to take faith to require to believe that those things are true. Uh, Alistair McGrath is someone who I've really enjoyed. He himself was an atheist at one point, now uh, working at Oxford. He is uh, kind of a leading theologian, leading apologist in the field of defending Christianity. And this is what he says about doubt. I love it. Let's put it up here. He says this, we need to learn to be relaxed about doubt. Doubt is like an attention-seeking child. The more attention you pay to it, the more attention it demands. By worrying about your doubts, you get locked into a vicious cycle of uncertainty. So how does doubt become unbelief? Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It's a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It's a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust, but it is not and need not be a problem. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard Robert say, you've heard Nick say, you've heard other people who preach here say that God is not afraid of your doubts, right? He invites our doubts. He wants us to ask more of him. He wants us to seek him in deeper ways, right? When we question and when we seek so much in, uh, you know, the American South and a spirit of religiosity and, you know, a church culture, people can have baggage where maybe you grew up in a place or maybe you have a false perception that people were like, hey, doubt, no, bad, no, keep doubt away. But I promise God is big enough for your doubt. He can handle it and he'll come out on the other side just fine. There are plenty of smart people who've tested God and seen him be true. So doubt makes us question our faith. And then hard times make us question our faith. Now, hard times, general claim, very general statement. What could that be in your life? I don't know. I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. Maybe you got something going on at work. Maybe you got something going on in your family. Maybe fear and anxiety creeping in your life. Maybe you're prone to depression. Maybe there's an addiction that you're trying to kick. Maybe there's an addiction you should be trying to kick. I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Lord does. And so often for us, we see hard times in our life, circumstances that test us. And instead of that drawing us to God in faith, what that does is pull us away. Right? We question his goodness. We question his faithfulness. We question why he would even allow us to be in a circumstance like that. And I love what James says. I know that I've preached this passage before, but I think James 1 is, is one of the best things that speaks to this. Count it all joy. Uh, yeah, count it all joy, my brothers. All joy. All joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here's what I want to say, and and this is where this passage really gets me. Man, there are a lot of people trying to be perfect and complete in the world, right? A lot of our efforts is to present ourselves as perfect. A lot of our effort is to convince ourselves that we're complete people and whole people. And apart from Jesus, we're just not going to get there. So what this passage says, and it's not our faith alone in Jesus that's going to get us there. As people, and sometimes we just have to go through it to realize that we're not God. God uses our hard circumstances. 
He uses our suffering and our trials. He uses the things we go to to shape our character, to refine us, to sanctify us, to make us more like him. So if we want to be perfect and complete, now we've got to lock in to the things that Jesus is doing in our life. That we are, in our hard times, going to have the temptation to pull away, to pull back, to question God's character, to want to know why he's doing what he's doing instead of moving towards him in faith. So just like the temptation and doubt, when we question God and go, oh God, I have all these questions and they're too big for you. I don't know if you hold up to these things. Just like he invites that in the middle of whatever you're in, family strife, professional struggle, whatever it is, and he wants us to seek him in that. And instead of that causing our faith to waver, we find our purpose, our place, and our hope in Jesus, in our doubt, and in our hard times. So for you and for me, probably two categories of people in here. Man, maybe faith is easy for you. You're living a life of faith right now. You trust Jesus, right, that he died for your sins, that you lived a life apart from him, and uh, that because he died for your sins, you can know him in relationship. One day when you die, you're going to join him in heaven, and in this time in between, you're living your life following him. You want to make him known and experience him deeply, and all along the way, you're trusting him. And you're seeking to trust him. And if that's you, I'd ask you this question. What is happening in your life right now that you really need to trust God in? What is happening in your life right now that you need to trust God in faith in? And I don't know what that is for you. When I was younger, I had a great mentor in my life who he really kind of challenged me in faith and my lens the way that I was looking at the world. And, um, you know, he asked me this question once. He said, Daniel, what is one thing that you're doing in your life that if you didn't have Jesus, you absolutely could not do? I just kind of stared blankly back at him because honestly, I'd never been pointedly asked a question like that. What's one thing you're doing in your life that if you didn't have Jesus, you could not do? And maybe you need to ask yourself that question today, right? What is such a step of faith for you? What's such a risk for you? What's such a bold move for you in faith that you really need to trust God with it? Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And I have a hard time with this because I read this and I see this, and I'm like, man, there have been times in my life, God, where I felt shaken to the core. But God's character has never been shaken. My identity in him has never been shaken. So for whoever you are and whatever you're going through, whatever you need to trust God with, he's good. And you can step out in faith and trust him. And then for the rest of us who are prone to wonder, drawn to cynicism and skepticism, we want to know what God has for us and maybe even wonder if he's real, I would ask this question to you. Has God shown himself to be real? And how have you seen it? Has God shown himself to be real? And how have you seen it? 
Because here's the thing for us. It's so easy sometimes for us to forget what God's done in our life. So easy sometimes for us to forget the truth of God in his word. I, uh, I had a surgery, uh, you know, about this time two years ago. Uh, I had some stuff scoped out of my nose, not to be incredibly gross, but I had some things growing in there that didn't need to be in there. Um, I'm, yeah, pause for laughter, that's cool. Pity me, that's fine. My nose is normal now. Uh, so, like, I'm not a surgeon, obviously. Some of you guys in the room are surgeons, so this stuff's perfectly normal for you. But, you know, I have a small level of apprehension. I'm not incredibly smart, but my nose is close to my brain. I have a big head. I don't think I have a big brain, but I was just, one, you know, I was worried. I was like, man, they're going to put this little thing, and they're going to control it with a joystick, and they might poke my brain, and I could die, you know? Um, but I knew, like, that when I came out on the other side of the surgery, I was going to be good. You know, I was going to be better. I was going to have a normal functioning nose, and everything was going to be okay. And... Um, but, I, you know, so I was, like, kind of psyching myself up, you know. I was like, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm going to have the surgery, and everything's going to be fine. And, um, you know, it all kind of changed whenever I got to the hospital kind of early in the morning. And, you know, I put, like, a dress on and then got on a bed, and they, like, put me on anesthesia and started asking me all these questions. And, um, and then really, like, as they started to push me into the operating room, and I, if you guys are surgeons, just this is a, you know, a piece of advice. You don't really tell me how to do my job, but I'm going to offer you something. Is I go into this, and I'm like, lay on this bed. I look over, and there's like knives everywhere. And I'm like, this is like a scope surgery. Like, what is this? What are you guys about to do to me? I was like, are they harvesting organs? Like, I didn't sign this. Like, I should have read the fine print. But like, I, like so, so like at that moment where I was like, like lay on the bed, and I look over, and I'm like, all these knives. And then I, you know, peacefully drift off to sleep, wondering if I'm ever going to wake up again. Uh, like, but that's the thing. Like, you know, in that moment, Second uh, Corinthians 5, right, that we'd be people who would walk by faith and not by sight. Right? In our life, lots of times we know that God's for us. We know our identity in him. We know who he is, what he wants to do for us, what he has for us. Right? The love that he has for us. The future he holds for us. His purposes in our lives. But so often, we get lost because we start to live by sight, right? Like for me in that moment, I knew that I needed that surgery. I knew that what was good for me was on the other side. But just what I saw kind of shook me in that moment. And that's us so often. That our circumstance and our doubt, it shakes us. But we've got to go back to how we've seen God be real in the world. And for you and for me, for whatever's going on, whether it's doubt or whether it's circumstance, and here's my word to you as we close. He knows your struggle. He understands your struggle. And he cares for you in your struggle. God knows your struggle. He understands your struggle. And he cares for you in your struggle. So whether it's a struggle of insecurity or a struggle of anxiety, a struggle of doubt, a struggle in a circumstance, a struggle in your job, a struggle in your marriage, a struggle in your friend group, a struggle in your family, whatever it is, God knows. And he's proved himself faithful time after time after time, generation after generation after generation. We read uh, Hebrews 11.2 earlier, right? This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11, if you're familiar with that passage, often referred to as like the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's got great characters of the Old Testament, true people who lived real lives, who God did powerful things in. And he was faithful in their lives. We look to their example. 
And we know that he does things in our life like he did things in their lives. So Job was faithful under trial when Satan wanted everything but his very life. Abraham was faithful to offer up his son. That Moses would lead the people out of the land. That Rahab would trust God and aid the spies and help them take the land. We see that God's people have been taken care of. And when he calls us to faith, he's going to deliver. He's going to take care of it. And if people who lived true lives a long time ago don't do anything for you, I'd ask you to look to people who go here and live in town who you've seen God do great things in their lives. Man, there are people who, um, and I know and love, who God has sustained through tragic deaths in their family and who have trusted God in the middle of terrible diagnosis and who've trusted God in the middle of broken marriages and relationships restored. And that could be your story, right? That when we live a life of faith, when we trust God, that he's going to be faithful to us. That when we're obedient, when we seek him, when we submit our lives to him, when we live with him in a relationship, he's going to take care of us. Because he knows. Because he's been here. Hebrews 12, and then I'll close. Let us throw off everything that hinders and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Right? God doesn't stay off in this distant place and call us to live this faith that he has no context for. But Jesus lived here on the earth, had relationships and friendships and a job and new people and had great circumstance and terrible circumstance. But he lived a life of faith. So he knows what it's like for us to wrestle with doubt and with circumstance. But he lived a life of perfect faith and he calls us to be like him. And he gives us the power to do that with the Holy Spirit and he gives us the comfort to know that we're going to mess up sometimes. But he knows and he calls us to seek him more and more in faith. That regardless of where we are, how new your faith is, how old your faith is, that faith is day by day. That every day you'd wake up and seek to know the Lord more and more. Because he has great things for you. We'll stand up. We'll pray.